whatever business you're building, whatever purpose you have defined as yours, are you a painkiller? Because vitamins, they're not going to cut it. That's a little bit vanilla right now, isn't it? A bit meh. And you've got to have more cut through. And then when you defined it, can, any, can anybody else say it? And hopefully they can't. And then that final question is, and are you saying it? Because so often we think everybody knows because we're bored of the story ourselves. They don't know. You have to keep saying it. Hello, I'm John Higginson, founder of Higginson Strategy. Higginson Strategy is a communications agency that works with purpose-led organizations. And working with purpose-led organizations is our superpower. Because once we start talking about why someone does something, instead of what they do, they start opening up. Most people don't like selling and they definitely don't like being sold to. But by moving the conversation from what we're doing to why we're doing it, we move to a space where people are passionate. The distillation of this passion and the phenomenal media coverage it can help to generate is why purpose-led communications has become the fastest growing trend in PR and communications in recent years. Over the course of this podcast series, I will interview a leading light in the world of purpose and communications, getting insight and tips into how to communicate better. This week, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Sean Sutherland, co-founder of A Plastic Planet one of the most recognised and respected campaigns tackling the plastic crisis. Sean is passionate about igniting social change, using a pro-business, pro-solutions and proactive approach to build a different kind of organisation, helping the world to turn off the plastic tap. She has won various awards, including Female Marketer of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year and British Inventor of the Year. Over the years, Sean has become a close friend as well as an advisor to Higginson's strategy and its clients. Sean, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, John. First, can I say happy birthday and what a joy to be with you on your birthday talking about such stuff. Sometimes you have to pinch yourself, don't you? And we all of us have some, some, you know, less good sides to what they do. But, but I bet sometimes you wake up like I do and think, I am so bloody lucky to do what I do every day and feel okay. how I feel every day. Um, and even on your birthday. Thank so, you. What a treat to be speaking to you on my birthday, Sean. This is your present, okay? Just so you know, don't expect anything else. Uh, I'm trying to be anti-consumption. <laughs> so, so yes, my, my background, as you as you pointed out, there is that of an entrepreneur, and you know, so where, as an entrepreneur, your number one job is to basically make something happen out of nothing. And I'm always, it's why I'm so passionate about entrepreneurship and speak often, you know, with female entrepreneurs and. Uh, Anyone who is an entrepreneur, I'm sure they feel a real responsibility to, to help others create something out of nothing because it can be one of the hardest things to do. And once you're on that road of creating something, whatever the business may be, and as you know, I've been through many different careers from advertising to restaurants to uh, film production to running a skincare brand. And now, you know, who would have thought I'd end up running, um, you know, co-founding and running a Plastic Planet? But the thread that connects all of them for me is that power of communication, because as soon as you're building something, you have to communicate that this thing is now available, be it a service or a restaurant, whatever it is. How do you do that in a way that cuts through? Because most entrepreneurs, and I 
heard an amazing um, fact the other day, actually, that 98% of the businesses in the UK are SMEs. So it just shows most of us are these young, you know, really trying to create something out of nothing businesses who then need to cut through in this incredibly noisy marketplace where we are bombarded by messages. And that's something that I've really um, been fortunate enough, I think, to hone through all my different careers of how do you communicate differently? How do we connect a very strong emotional connection with the people that we want to engage with, be it when I ran the skincare brand that was pregnant women, you know, a very emotional audience to start with. How do we create a very strong bond with them? Even with the restaurant, everything that we've done, it has been about number one, building a great team, but majorly having this unusual depth of emotional connection on messaging. So it just made sense to me when we started a plastic planet that comms was going to be a massive part of, of our success or failure. Right. And I, I I remember when when we first met with you all those uh, all those years ago about five years ago I think we met you in uh, uh, back in the Groucho Groucho Club was our first meeting which was a great great place to meet. Um, I remember meeting you and Fred and you were really clear on what your aim was with that plastic free free aisle, and that to me really sung to me because I remember. Uh, working on Metro has one of the quickest time in which uh, people read the paper because it's a paper that's given away on the uh, uh, on the tube network and on the train network. And the average time was 12 minutes cover to cover for that newspaper. So we would have to write things in a way knowing that you had a fraction of 12 minutes and you had to grab those those uh, readers attentions. And so you got very good at just working out what's the stuff you get rid of, what's the important stuff there. And you seem to get that straight away. You got that kind of clarity. And with that first campaign we ran there, we just said, yeah, this is it. You don't you 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 cut away all the stuff from the side of that. And we ran a, an effective campaign. Um, do you remember remember? I know that you've got a very kind of advertising type background. And do you remember any of those things that kind of made you think, yeah, this is this is the one and this is how we do this? I think for me, it was always about keeping it super simple. And and part of our the reason for our cut through has perhaps been because we're just ordinary people that that uh, have the benefit of this kind of radical naivety of why is it taking so long? Why you know why is change not happening faster? So that we speak the language of the people, and much as the people isn't always our audience. It's when the Plastic Free Our campaign started for us, it was just here we are, both involved, and Fred and myself both involved in helping launch this amazing documentary uh, film all about plastic in the ocean. We knew that people were going to see that film pre-Blue Planet 2. They were going to feel scared, guilty, angry. Then they were going to go shopping the next day and they had no choice. So for us, it just became this really simple thing of how it can it be that you can buy fat-free, dairy-free, whatever-free, gluten-free, but you can't buy plastic-free. And so our first campaign was very simple of just saying, wouldn't it be great if you could push that trolley through your supermarket and you find a plastic free aisle. So you just have the choice. And if you choose to buy plastic, then that's that's also your deal. But at the moment, we have no choice. And I think having those very simple ideas and also creating things that are visual. And often we get wrapped up in this world of words and it's all about how it looks printed on the page. Um, but actually, to, I think it's really important, particularly in, in um, 
where we are right now, you know, with this Armageddon of 2030 and the climate crisis and everything that that people are so concerned about. And it's very important for us to almost prototype the future. And that was the other the part of the, the Plastic Free Isle campaign was we knew we had to build one because people don't relate to a, a pact or a pledge or a promise. Nobody can really, there's nothing emotive about that. And also it's not something that we can realize is possible. So the visual communication of creating the aisle was equally important to us because then we were saying, and it can, it can be done. Here's a principle, but here it is as a reality. And you can step over the threshold into this new area and shop plastic free. And I feel that that's probably that. And obviously working with, obviously working with Higgerson strategy on the whole comms campaign, but also the visual, the aesthetic of the plastic free aisle was very important because it looked like part of the future. It didn't look like it was about denial, it did armpit hairy sandal, you know, people having to um, lose every element of convenience in their shopping habits. It looked exciting and new and fresh and vibrant and how you want to shop in the future. So I think those having those two arms of, of course, written communication, but having great visual communication. We have to demonstrate by creating prototypes that things are possible. And I think often in campaigns, things are a little bit too academic. And I want to know, can it be done? Well, let's prove it by doing it. And then it becomes possible and the world can hopefully accelerate towards it. That's great. Now, some of the people listening might go, look, that's that's all great. But but Sean, you're you're the founder of an NGO. And as an NGO, you can do all these things. And some of some of the listeners of this might be um, heads of sustainability or heads of comms of corporate organisations. And they feel that they can't go as far as you're, you're going. What kind of tips would you go give to them on how they can get messages out? on some of the good that they're doing as companies and corporations uh, that would come from the experience that you've got working as an NGO and working with, with some of those corporations that you have? I always say now, I used to sell stuff and now I sell change. And I think if you're a sustainability director, you're also selling change. So you, you need to have transparent, real, credible, authentic examples of what you're doing. You also need to be very honest about where you are on that path. And that's what's been missing, I think, in a lot from a lot of the big CPG companies is they pump out a press release talking about, I don't know, chemical recycling or flexible packaging or some new thing or a paper bottle that's still got a paper, got a plastic liner. And it just smacks the marketing. And what you have to be really careful of is that every message that you're putting out is it, is it put out because it genuinely moves the agenda forward? Does it demonstrate to, the, to your audience, perhaps the shopping public, that change is really happening? Or is it just the fact that we haven't put anything out for a while, we'll bung out a sticking plaster for now? And if you're doing that, just stop. It's a waste of your time and energy and money. Spend that time and energy and money on actually making the change happen. And then shout from the rooftops. And then use organizations like ourselves to talk about what you're doing, because you know one of one of the things that you know we've been involved in um, is the Dove Refillable, which is the Dove Refillable deodorant, so beautifully designed, stainless steel deopod, very successful launch last year in the US. And by working with Unilever through that project, I think they realised 
actually, I can say things about the symbolism of this, how exciting this is, that the third biggest polluter on the planet is reinventing a very everyday product like deodorant and making it into this beautifully designed refill system. I can talk about that in a way that they can't. So just be careful about how much um, you know, chest beating that you're doing in a form of marketing that is flimsy thin and, and your public can, can scratch through it very quickly. Um, and then ally with people that if you are absolutely doing the work, can shout about it with you because it would be so much more powerful. Yeah, that's uh, ab absolutely a great piece of advice there and something, as you know, Sean, we've really worked on a lot of Higgins and Strategy, just bringing, I think half of our, roughly half of our clients are NGOs like yourself and the other half are kind of corporations. And we find that the both, both, both of them help each other rather than working against each other. And we can find that you can have a corporation doing a campaign that you need, you know, the backing of an NGO to actually put their name to it and say, yes, this is a really great thing that you're doing. And then equally those NGOs want the corporations to be doing the right thing and so working together rather than the old model where you'd have the NGO on one side of things throwing rocks at the corporation the corporation battling down the hatches against them I think that's really going to be the past when we're trying to achieve the the change that we are trying to change change in the world today we have to work with business business are going to become a big part of of that change and that's really uh, important it's the biggest tool in our armory. You know, if we if we don't help business change faster, more fool us. And I feel that 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 old model, perhaps, of attacking business, of course, you have to hold them to account. But you know, interesting that, you know, you refer to us as an NGO. I don't even think of us as an NGO. I think of us as, you know, we are pro-business, pro-solutions, pro-lobbying, as in we know that it helps industry to have new laws. Um, but I think it's a different kind of business model, not even an NGO, which is how can we create more change and help industry along the path? There will always be a need for the radicals because people, I don't know, like Extinction Rebellion, make people like me look safe. And then, you know, when you look on that scale of, of, the, of radicalism, really, uh, I'm only about halfway. So therefore, I can have a seat at the table with some of the CPGs because I'm safer than perhaps sitting with Extinction Rebellion. But even that has changed hugely because I remember having a meeting with one of our first supermarkets five years ago who turned up, the, the chief marketing officer turned up at the meeting with their company lawyer and recorded the meeting. And, I, and I, for me, that was shocking. I'm an entrepreneur. I didn't understand that, uh, that she should feel so threatened that they had to... Uh, you know, have a lawyer in the meeting where I'm simply saying, hey, guys, here's an opportunity. Why don't you be the first to give the British public a plastic free aisle? But it shows how far we've come yeah. And, yeah. and the dialogues that are now happening around you know, the, the UN plastic treaty, all of these things. It shows how far we've come. A business realising it has to change and realising that the, the NGOs are, are there to help, not just to harangue. Tell us about... Um some of a plastic biggest success. Oh, it's it's been a big five years, hasn't it, John? And you've been with us every single step of the way. And you know, I, um, I don't mind saying that I I credit Higgerson Strategy as being one of our absolute superpowers. You know, we are tiny, we punch well above our weight, and and for me personally to go 
from you know, massive plastic sinner running a skincare brand to coming up with this crazy idea of the plastic free aisle, going all in with Fred on that. And then six months later, I'm in New York speaking at the UN. It's just amazing to, to see how loud your voice can be if you if you cut through in the right way and if you're talking in an empowering way, not, not just a critical way. So for us, I guess, well, some of our biggest things have obviously been opening the aisle, uh, you know, that day, February 2018, freezing cold day in, in um, West Amsterdam. And me, at the end of that day, having done 55 global media interviews from CNN and Washington Post, New York Times, and right the way across to, to China TV, just thinking this is really extraordinary that this visual and the symbolism of somebody saying you can change today would have such massive scale. When we're not in London or Paris or New York, you know, we're just in this little sleepy suburb of, of Amsterdam. Um, but it showed me if messaging is right, if you have the right people around you, it is unbelievable the cut through that you, that you can have with the world's media, particularly if you're talking, if you're offering hope in, in, a, in a world where there's a lot of miserable news out there. And people need some stories about hope and achievement and opportunity and results. Well, well, look, I think another big success has been uh, of A Plastic Planet has been the, sac the sachet campaign very, very recently uh, with the UK government uh, saying that they want to ban um, plastic sachets, that, which I remember us talking, sitting down and talking about and saying we have to get rid of these things. And quite often, I always think that if you create a campaign that you do not need to explain what the campaign is, you just need to say the campaign title, i.e., Plastic free aisle, you don't need to explain what you're asking for there. Sack the sachet, you don't need to explain what you're asking for there. As soon as you have to start explaining what the campaign is, you start losing people. And so having those really simple campaigns have been really uh, useful, uh, I think, to, to your success. I'd like to also talk about some of our failures because we have had failures as well. And no one likes to hear people just chirping on about all their wins. And we do. And we have had some failures. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit one of the failures that I had with the Plastic Planet. I remember when we we were bringing um, Plastic Free R back to the UK and um, we had our second supermarket. We had our first supermarket chain, as you said, in Amsterdam. And then we had a small supermarket in North London saying that they want to do it as well. Now, it was clearly a smaller story then because one, it wasn't a chain and two, it was uh, it was the second one. So the second is never as big as the first one. The first one we were able to say this is a world first. And so I was really um, looking around for what are the new lines we can possibly get out of this that the uh, that the UK media will jump on. And I remember saying having having seen squirrel stories walk into Metro for uh, many years, kind of funny st stories of. Uh, of crack eating uh, squirrels in in uh, Brixton and and uh, squirrels that could uh, go on water and stuff. I said, right, we've got a plastic free squirrel here. So we had we had squirrels that were in a, a, a in a uh, plastic free material, didn't we? And I said, this is going to walk into all the papers. Let's just get this. And um, I managed to get it into Metro, but I didn't get get it much further than that. And I I said it would be journalist catnip. And yeah. somehow oh, I'll never forget. Will you, this is plastic free squirrels. Trust me, it's it for journalism yeah, yeah. We, we were okay okay we'll go with it it, it feels a bit gimmicky um but but hey you know we, we gave it a go um yeah. and you, you're right also i find everything is about timing 
you know that sometimes the the timing isn't isn't right and we we do i'll talk i'll talk about one of our failures um and i don't really i don't know failure is quite a negative word and that's not that doesn't sit well with me but it was definitely and well i, I think we'll come back to it because it was about timing and henry henry who works with us and i went to mercia so you know the um area of mercia in in spain is known as the farm of europe and we thought we're going to do this whole campaign about plastic free salad it'll be great because the the um just the mulch films the plastic films that you cover the fields with um in mercia it's so vast you can see it from space it's really it's really famous for that um you see this big white blob uh on the land of spain and so we went over there and we and the mayor of mercia set up you know we talked to all the farmers we did this whole presentation I don't think I've ever had such um, such a poor reaction from any audience in my life. There were these burly farmers with their arms crossed, just thinking, yeah, "What is she talking about? Of course, we're not going to take the plastic off." You know, and we were saying perhaps we could transport all the leafy salad and veg. So by the time it gets to Tesco's and Waitrose, then it's it's never had plastic because everything is obviously not only grown in plastic but shipped in plastic. Um, anyway, that went nowhere. That was a big dud. Uh, however, here we are, two years later, the UN bring out a report on the disaster of plastic within our soils. The, you know, the scientists saying there's plastic in all our leafy green veg. So everything is kind of caught up now. And who's to say that that campaign couldn't be revisited because it's all about timing. And, we, and our timing was not good on that one. I think we were a bit arrogant as well. But we thought, yeah, the farmers will love it. We'll just say, hey, here's some, here's some plastic free materials and they'll just switch. But of course, farming is a tough business and, uh, and, and micro pence are incredibly important. And I think we just underestimated, underestimated that and we overestimated um, a, an, an appetite for change and, and a desire to be plastic free. There was no desire at that point. There may well be now. Right. Well, I'm going to try and keep this podcast to a 5K run because I've just got into running at the moment. I'm going to run the Rome Marathon. Um, and so I'm going to ask you one final question. If you are that SME and you're just starting out and you're thinking, look, I've got I've got a great product and it's doing it and it's doing good for the world. What one kind of tip or piece of advice would you give to that person about what's the one thing that they could possibly do to uh to communicate that purpose that they've got there? What I would say to any entrepreneur, and it's whether you're talking about purpose or your product, it's the same principle, is what can you say that nobody else can say? And are you saying it? And it's really that simple, because if you are saying something someone else is saying, then then who cares? Nobody's gonna gonna beat a party to your door. You have to really give yourself the, the, the why bother test. Why is anybody going to bother about you? And it's all about having something totally unique. Someone gave me a great expression the other day. Are you a vitamin or a painkiller? And as a product, and even with your purpose, you want to be a painkiller. Because when somebody leaves the house and they've got a headache or they're just not feeling great, they come back in the house for their painkillers. They don't bother coming back for their vitamins. So the vitamins are often a nice to have and a painkiller is an absolute must have. You have to be a must have. So it, it gave, it, I thought it was a really great little expression of w- whatever business you're building, whatever purpose you have defined as yours. Are you a painkiller? Because 
vitamins, they're not going to cut it. That's a little bit vanilla right now, isn't it? A bit meh. And you've got to have more cut through. And then when you've defined it, can can anybody else say it? And hopefully they can't. And then that final question is, and are you saying it? Because so often we think everybody knows because we're bored of the story ourselves. They don't know. You have to keep saying it. Sean Sutherland, founder of A Plastic Planet, a pain maker for the plastic industry and a pain killer for us. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm John Higginson, founder of Higginson Strategy. This is Behind the Story. Thank you.